What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today we are talking with musician, vocalist, and songwriter Miles Kennedy. You may know Miles best as the lead vocalist and guitarist for the hard rock band Alterbridge, as well as the vocalist on all of Guitar Legend Slash's solo records. And now Miles has his own solo album out on May 14th called The Ides of March, which you can pre-order now. The goal of hardcore humanism therapy and coaching is to help you apply some of the core principles of humanistic psychology so that you can find your purpose in life, work hard to achieve it, and build a community around yourself who will support your best and most authentic life. And one of the most important things that we try to teach is that a purpose-driven life can be fulfilling in and of itself, even if we don't achieve all of our tangible goals. The fulfillment and satisfaction come from not only having a purpose, but also putting a process into place to strive for that purpose so that we can live a life that is authentic to us. That being said, we are still human beings, and if we have a specific goal in mind, it can be frustrating if we don't see results immediately. In fact, one of the biggest barriers to achieving our purpose in life is that we assume that it should take a specific amount of time or happen in a certain way. But oftentimes, it can take years or even an entire lifetime to achieve our specific goals. And we need to accept that while our effort to pursue our purpose must remain strong and consistent, the achievement of a specific goal may take longer than we'd expected or hoped. What was interesting about my conversation with Miles is that he exudes rock star. He's a good-looking guy, he has a fantastic voice, and is a great guitar player. So to be honest, I sort of assumed that things worked out for him kind of quickly. But in our conversation, Miles explained how it took him years to build a career in music. And he talks about what I think is a really interesting and exciting concept, soul investing. And what Miles is talking about is the perseverance that it takes when we pursue our purpose, that investment we make in our authentic self over time. And that is not easy, as the tangible rewards don't come immediately. So let's hear how Miles pushed past his doubt, engaged in some soul investing, and pursued his purpose. So, Miles, welcome to the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. So, about five minutes ago, you just blew my mind with a concept that I had never heard before that, according to you, you've never said before, which is the topic of soul investing. I love that concept. And I love the idea of how do you put energy and like you've talked about, like invest in in your soul and your spirit and your purpose. Um, and I just, I just want to right there, just give you an opportunity to talk about what that idea means because I love it. Well, well, thank you for the introduction. It's really great to be here. Um, well, you know, I think that in our, in our preface here, we were kind of discussing certain concepts and the idea of investing in something, whatever it is, whether it's your passion or a relationship or your soul, you know, know, who you are. It takes, it takes a certain amount of risk. Obviously it takes time, energy. And so you have to look at it like, especially as time goes on. And I've come to realize that, that, you know, as you continue to invest in yourself, that hopefully you will realize those gains down the road. And the scary thing is, let's say, let's say as a, as a creative person, when I first started out, you know, there was a, there were times it's like, I'm putting so much effort into learning this craft and doing something that most people 
look at you like you're crazy. You're going to, you what? You want to be a recording artist? You want to, your chances of doing that are slim to none, right? So it's the idea of, well, I'm going to continue to invest in this and put in all the sweat equity. And in, in, in a lot of cases, my own earned money, what, you know, whatever I was doing at the time to reinvest back in the business of, of who I am and what I want. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a, it's a gamble. Just like when you go to the stock market and you buy a, a share for, of something, you don't, chances are there's so many, so many things you can invest in that you may lose money. So I think that uh, for me, soul investing is important because I want to invest in myself, invest in my happiness, invest in my future. And somehow it, it worked out. But there were times along the way where I thought of selling, selling at a loss, you know? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, now, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for you, but, but looking from the outside, one would say, well, this, this investment strategy, if, if you will, has worked in multiple ways. I mean, you've had success with multiple projects solo. And so, you know, you could, at, I would hope at this point, look back and be like, okay, like I, I did something right. But the thing that that's very tricky for people is going all the way back to that moment when it wasn't clear that it was going to be successful, where you had doubters. And I'm kind of curious if you could talk about if there was a moment in time where everyone was telling you, I, I need you to go right, but you're like, eh, I'm going to go left if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, I I think that um, coming, you know, growing up in a very, you uh, know, in, in a household with very realistic expectations, you know, it was always uh, there were never any uh, delusions of grandeur. It was like, well, son, what what are you thinking of doing after high school? And I was like, well, I I kind of want to play music, and I didn't know to what degree. So that went on for for years, where I was teaching. Uh, you know, private guitar, and then I was playing gigs, and I was I was really hustling. But then when I started, it was when I started writing my own songs that that was when the the investment started in terms of the game, or the, I should say, in a way, the gamble started because the amount of time that took and to develop that and build that brand. And I do remember, though my parents were supportive in many ways, there were there were talks. There was a talk I had with my stepdad when I was about twenty three. And he was basically, so son, how long, how much longer are you thinking of marching down this road? And I gave my, I said, I'll tell you what, if at 25, things aren't starting to pan out, maybe I'll go back to school and we'll figure that out become a teacher, whatever it is. Um, and once I hit 25, then it was like, just another year number, you know, and I just kept kind of extending it until it finally you know, had my first major label deal, and then the the journey really started. Interestingly enough, I don't. I never felt like my parents were the doubters. If anything, the doubter, oddly enough, was me. I mean, I was the one that was struggling with putting all this time into something, not knowing if any of it was going to pan out. But I was also really. I started really getting into some of the self help motivation things that were coming to the surface in the 90s. And look, it's basically just very summarized psychology in a lot of ways to where it's if you build it they will come. It's like it's what you what you continue to think about. So if you think I'm going to be a failure, you're going to become a failure. If you think I'm going to be successful or I'm going to reach 
where I, I'm going to get from point A to point B. You're going to help facilitate that. You know, did you ever take driver's ed? Probably. I did. I, I, I did take driver's ed. I, I got I had a very bad experience with driver's ed where I actually lost credit in one of my driver's ed class because I was talking too much. My friends <laughs> made fun of me for a long time. That's my that's my main driver's ed experience. <laughs> well, do you remember in between the talking, one of the first things they tell you is hands 10 and 2 on the steering wheel and you look you look straight ahead. You look where you're going. You don't look to the left. You don't look to the right. Because if you do, you're going to end up in the other lane or you're going to end up in the ditch. And that's kind of the way I look at life. It's like, keep your eyes focused on where you want to go and don't stray from that. And so I think that that was, uh, that was very important for me. Now, one of the things that you and I talked about a little while ago is that one of my favorite lyrics that you have is this concept of I searched where I did not belong. I, I hope I got that right. And I heard that and I was like, that that feels like a very meaningful phrase to me. You know, because one one of the things that I find, you know, especially when I'm working with people, is all of the awkwardness that we have comes from I want this, but the world doesn't necessarily want that for me, at least right now. And and what do I do with that? You know, so as an example, it's like, I want to be a rock star. And, 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 at, and at this exact moment, the world does not necessarily want that for me. So what do I do with it? If you, if you charge ahead into that, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of awkwardness. There's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of you know, shame of uncomfortable experiences. And yet I've never seen anyone succeed without doing that. And so I'm just kind of curious, you know, just from that lyric and, in, and from that perspective, how, you know, how did you, during those moments, say, like, keep yourself going? Like, what was that positive thinking that you were doing? I think, I, actually, I saw an interesting interview a long time ago that really stuck with me. And it was, somebody was interviewing Conan O'Brien. And they, and they asked him kind of the same question. And he said, you have to ask yourself, how bad do you want it? You know, and it was really that simple. Now, let me just say that did I want to be a quote unquote uh, rock star? No, I, I I didn't. That seemed unrealistic to me, and that seemed a little bit too grand. I just wanted to play music, and I just wanted to have a, a way to create because uh, it makes me so happy. And I wanted to coin the most popular phrase, probably from one of my big inspirations spiritually, which would be Joseph Campbell, <clears throat> which is follow your bliss, right? And I just wanted to follow my bliss. I just wanted to be my true self. And I didn't, I, one thing I started to see people around me who were chasing things that I knew weren't going to lead to happiness, be it money, be it w whatever that thing is. And I knew that one thing, beautiful thing that I did learn from my parents was the idea that it's, it's not necessarily about material gains. It's not necessarily going to bring happiness. Be a good person, do the right thing. And, you know, everything will work out. So, so I think for me, it was a little bit of, a little bit of all of that and also a, a heavy dose and too dumb to know when to quit. You know, really that was kind of it. I, I, it was funny. I'll never forget one day I was, I was, I think I was in the shower of all things and things were not looking great in terms of the future in, for, for following my bliss and doing what I really hope to do. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I'll never forget just even though it seemed like 
there was just no way to get from point A to point B at that point in my life. There was just this weird feeling deep down inside that's like, yeah, it's going to work out. It was really, it was just like this quiet knowing somewhere deep in my soul that was just like, you eventually you will get there, but you have to continue to just be a complete hard head and keep hitting your head against that brick wall and it will break eventually. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you about that though, because, you know, obviously I'm not in your shoes. I don't know what's happening, but when you think of some of the situations that you've been in, whether it's your own brand with Alterbridge, you know, but, you know, playing with Slash, you know, the, whatever happened or didn't happen with Led Zeppelin, we talked about with Velvet Revolver, right? These are all situations where you're talking about musicians who, who are in theory picking the top vocalists. You know, these are, these are people who are, you know, absolutely saying we're going to pick the best of the best to potentially collaborate with us. And I'm assuming that your abilities were the same to some degree back then. And I'm just kind of curious as what was, what was not necessarily clicking by the time you were 25? Because I, I'm, I'm just kind of curious because it would have seemed based on my having listened to you, you know, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm, you know, shining you on or anything, but just, it, it's not like you don't, you don't have one of those voices that people would be like, oh yeah, he's going somewhere. So I'm kind of curious, like what happened early on? That's a good question. I, it's, you know what though? It did take me a long time to kind of find who I was, define my voice. And I think that that was, there was a lot of mimicking going on. Like if I listen to some of those really early recordings, I was like, oh, someone was listening to a little bit too much Jeff Buckley. <laughs> you know? Like, and I was, I was going through those phase one, another record. Oh, someone was listening to too much Stevie Wonder. And some, so it, I think that it did take a while. I feel like I was given a certain amount of, um, I guess, range, which was which was helpful. But where where I needed to put in the time was to develop who who was I. And one of the things that about me is that I really loved so many different genres and so many different kinds of music. So I was the guy that was, you know, one day as a he's obsessed with with listening to country music. The next week he's all he's listening to is is Ella Fitzgerald. And so it was. How do you take all of that and make your own sonic? you know, stew, that's you. Was there more pressure professionally to conform, you know, whether it was labels or managers or whatever, you know, whoever applies pressure to say, Hey, listen, like, I think you could really hit it big doing this kind of a thing because it's trending and, and, and you could do it well. And, you know, just go, go do it. We'll make some money. Yeah. Right. Get out there, kid. Copy that one guy. We're going to make a lot of money off you. Uh, it was never said outright. I, I think that to some degree, may, maybe some folks felt that way. But I also did feel like the people I surrounded myself with, there were a fair amount that were like, they understood. They're like, there's a raw talent here. We need to let this guy evolve. Um, he's not ready yet. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think even when I got uh, when I was in the band that had our first major label deal in, in my mid to late 20s, I still wasn't really ready yet from an artistic standpoint, not just artistically, because you know, I hadn't really found my voice. I was just not ready for, I don't think my ego was ready. And there's one thing that I'm still w working on and trying to work with is how to deal with the human ego, because I don't really like the human ego. I think the human ego is necessary to be an artist to a point to, to get out on stage and, you know, showbiz. But I also think it's 
it can be really ugly and I think it can be very destructive. And um, so I was just really fragile at that point in my life. And and interestingly enough, during the, the five years after I'd been signed to the first major label deal, I went from, oh, this is the, the greatest thing ever. And I'm having the opportunity to tour on a national level, make records with these big people. But I was also, I discovered I was psychologically not ready I just, and that's why I feel so bad for some of these kids who get signed as like teenagers and then they kind of fall apart in the process in the public eye. And then you have all of these tabloid publications coming down on them and making fun of them or, or, you know, and I'm like, these are kids. They're, I was in my late twenties and I've, I fell to pieces and I was a mess for years because of all of the, all of the things that come with that and all of the, and and trying to tame and understand who you are and the human ego and how that can make life so complicated and you know years ago you remember when there was that whole thing with Britney Spears when when she kind of had a bit of a break and man it frustrated me to see how the world was treating her cuz she was it just wasn't fair you know it's like she was just evolving so it's it, it's tough man it's a tough business <laughs> And, and, you know, one of the things, and this gets into the concept of soul investing, and is that, is that in some ways that the most rebellious thing, the most burn the system down thing that somebody can do is say, I matter in the context of, of feeling or other people saying that you don't matter. You know, and that's to me, like a lot of what happened with hip hop was saying, you know, is, is the Bronx and it's everything, you know, the, the poverty and everything that was going on was saying, and, you know, saying, well, this, this art that I have in my head, that I have in my heart, that matters. And what's revolutionary is that you're telling me it doesn't matter. You're not going to play it on radio. You don't have any labels for it. There's no touring for it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to say it matters. And that to me is like the most powerful thing that you could do that I, that I worry sometimes people lose in the effort to protest the system, you know, like in saying like, well, fuck all of this. It's like, but don't forget to say, I am here. I matter. You know, don't kind of sweep yourself up with the, the destruction, if you will, because you don't have to necessarily destroy one system in order to build another. And hip hop is one of the best examples. I mean, hardcore punk is one of the best examples. Mm -hmm. Metal. I mean, these are, these are genres. I mean, hip hop has taken over I mean, metal, you know, hardcore, if you look at a lot of the, in the last 30 years, a lot of the, the rock bands that have been prominent, a lot of them have roots in punk or hardcore punk or, you know, something like that. So there, there are these situations where people say, listen, I'm going to say I'm important when you say that I'm not. Hmm. That to me is just one of the most powerful forms. And, and, and even in your situation, like what you're talking about, like that's kind of what it took, you know, like is my... Is my music valid? Is it important? Are my, are my lyrics or my ideas? I'm just going to keep saying that it is and, and see what happens. And that's just so hard to do, I think, for people. Yeah, because you're putting yourself out there. And I mean, I think that that was the beauty of the, the punk movement. That was the beauty of hip hop. There were not things in place that made it so that the things they were creating could be monetized out of the gate to the degree that if, if you, if you'd gone down and done what was mainstream, well, there's already things in place. You can hop on the mainstream bus and make your money and ride off into the sunset. These people are like, no, because that's not who I am. I'm going to express who I am, what I feel about the culture, where I live and be a manifestation of that. And what's fascinating to me is when that happens, 
We saw it here just, you know, I live in Spokane, Washington. We started seeing it happen in the late 80s over in Seattle with the grunge movement. There was this whole movement that started to evolve over there that was far removed from what was happening in Los Angeles at the time with with glam metal and, and, and all of that. And this insular world in the corner of America was building this genuine thing that that was a manifestation of who they are and how they looked at the world. And they were just playing shows for each other. They didn't think that they were going to go off and become this, had the same effect in a lot of ways that hip hop did where suddenly, you know, five years later, flannel was going to be all the rage, even on New York fashion shows, you know, like it became a cultural movement because the genesis of it was pure. It was fucking pure. And that's the thing that like time, I get goosebumps just talking about this stuff because these were people who took a chance. They didn't, they didn't care about money. They didn't care about social standing. They just wanted to do what got them off and what was honest. And that's, that's fucking art. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. And then, you know, getting back to like the Britney Spears thing, right? Which obviously you go from grunge to Britney Spears immediately. Like is the idea that the judgment that, you know, like, so people ask like, well, do you like this kind of music? Do you like that kind of music? It's like, I like the kind of music where I know that a person understands how important this moment is. They understand that when you at least you know, used to buy a record and put it on, or you go to a show and you, play, you know, pay money for a show, that that is this authentic, important moment in the person's life, in, your, in the artist's life, in the, in, the, in the fan's life, and somebody who is willing to say, I am going to give my all. I'm going to put whatever is me out into that. And then you know, to have people say like, well, this is authentic. This isn't. This is genuine. This isn't. It's like, you don't know if it's, if it's authentic to that person. You know, it may not be authentic to you, which is fine. You don't have to listen to it. But I'm always amazed when people say like, well, th- this is authentic, whereas this is not, or this is real, whereas this is not. It's like, how, how would you possibly know that? Like, unless you've been in that person's shoes and understand like where that person's coming from, it's just so lame because it's this thing where it's like, wouldn't it just be great if someone's like, hey, that's not for me. Hey, that's not for me. This is for me. Right. I, don't have to, I don't have to say that this isn't for me in order to know what I like, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes it's fun a little bit, you know, like you tease people for like the, the bands that they like or whatever, you know, just if you don't like it, but, but anything beyond that is kind of like, man, what are you doing? Like, this is the whole point. Like people are supposed to be out there trying to, trying to come up with like their authentic place in life. And there's going to be someone out there who digs it. So let, let them be like, let them enjoy. I know. I don't understand this thing where people need to they need to tear things down. And it's interesting listening to you express yourself. I think what you're saying is how frustrated you are with this, any subjective medium, you know, because someone could build something that is, yeah, very authentic and very real and very honest, and someone's going to tear it down. And, and interestingly enough, some of the people who tear that down, maybe in 10 years, they'll go back and listen to it and they'll go, I was wrong. I did that. When I was a kid, there were artists that I did not get. And then- 30 years later, I'm like, there's some of my favorite art, you know, it's like food you didn't appreciate when you were a kid and now you love it. Yeah. Or, or thinking that because someone's been around for a long time that they're, they're whatever, they're, they're old, they're establishment. I, I remember when I talked to Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull and I was sitting there listening to this guy talk about just who the fuck played a flute <laughs> on, a, on a rock. So it's just, he's played a fucking flute and the mindset of how awesome that was. 
right? Because he thought of something. He's just like, hey, what would this sound like? That's it. That's, I'm kind of curious what this you know, would sound like. And, and the idea that just because he's now you know, been doing this for like 50 years, that someone would be like, oh, you know, uh, Jethro told that's old or, you know, that's old. It's not what's new. It's what's hip. It's like talking to him. He sounds exactly like the hardcore guys, you know, guys who are totally different, opposite views. It was the exact same thing. It was just this, like, you know, I was thinking about like, what if, what if, you know, what if we played a show down at that, at this uh, corner shop that nobody even has as a venue, that'd be kind of cool. Right. I mean, it's, it's like that exact same mentality. And the thing that, I mean, on a personal level, it really bugs me, but on a professional level, it's what destroys people. I mean, so much of what I do for a living is sitting there with people and trying to unfuck them from someone who, you know, basically was like, it's not going to work. You're wasting your time with that. It's like, why? Like you just, I mean, like literally, like it wouldn't take that much to be less like, Hey, I'll, I'll, you know, good luck to you. Do you need anything from me? You know? And it's like, you see how much people don't wind up doing what they want professionally. Don't wind up going after what they want personally. Don't wind up living in the places that they want to just from that basic thing. And it's like, we're talking about, you see it then publicly and you wonder like, man, this has real life consequences because it's, it's, it's happening on all levels. That sucks. Yeah. It's, and then that fear takes hold of people. And then they ask them, then they say, okay, so I watched this person take a chance and be their authentic self. And now they're being destroyed. So why do the soul investing? You know, what's, what's the point? Well, I'll tell you why. Cause if you, if you go ahead and you do it and you weather the storm and you make your mistakes, you get back up and you keep falling and you get back up and you keep falling and you just keep doing it. Eventually you might wake up and you might go, you know what? I think I did it and I'm happy. And I followed my bliss. Like I wake up every day and I love what I do. I, I have purpose. I have purpose. It has to, it has to end on that statement, but I, I would say something right now. I am saying that if you do not write a book of your, your autobiography, that's called soul investing, I will have failed as a human being. So <laughs> you got to write the book. It's got to be called soul investing. All right. I, I'm, I'm telling you, dude, I cannot, I'm so, so psyched that we got a chance to talk. I really appreciate you coming on here. I, I got a lot out of this and I know other people listening are going to get a lot out of this. So I, I so appreciate you taking the time. Oh, Mike, I, I really appreciate it. Yes, I've gotten a lot out of this as well. Getting to talk about this stuff. This has been deep and, and wonderful and I, and I appreciate you, man. Definitely. So there you have it. Miles Kennedy talking about soul investing and how he kept working to achieve his dream of being a professional musician. I really love the concept of soul investing because it's such a big part of what hardcore humanism is all about, investing in your purpose over the course of your life. And that investment will not only make it more likely that we will achieve our purpose-driven goals, but also it will give us a feeling of satisfaction and fulfillment no matter what the outcome. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, go to our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.